The man who does it best is Phil Steele. Any college football fan knows that the go-to, the Bible, is Phil Steele's college football preview. And the fact that we even have it this year is a small miracle in and of itself. How Phil navigated COVID-19, getting the magazine out much later than usual, but getting it out, how he did it, and of course some football. Let's discuss it all. I caught up with the man himself, Phil Steele, a little before we went on the air today. Let's listen to that conversation. Phil, your magazine, the gold standard, my summer companion, always by my side, all the dog ears in the pages and, and always going back to it, getting ready for college football. Such a labor of love as it is. I would imagine that this offseason was quite a challenge for you to put together this magazine. Just take me through the challenges of having to put out Phil Steele's college football preview through a pandemic. Yeah, there were two things that were way different this year. And the first was when we finally finalized the magazine. We were going along smoothly, Brent. You know, the, we start the magazine the Sunday after Thanksgiving when some team seasons are complete. We do a first write-through, uh, which is November, December, January. And then we start the second write-through after the players have signed, uh, the freshmen, and as well as the players have left for the NFL. And things are going along well. And then it comes March, and the state of Ohio shuts down all the businesses. So I'm coming to an empty office every day for almost two full months and wondering if we're even going to put out a magazine. But they uh, opened things back up. So the staff came back in. They came back in with a vengeance. And then I started talking to the coaches, talked to 110 to 130 head coaches this year. And they got me fired up, Brent. Uh, almost all of them uh, in unison were basically, hey, we didn't have spring practice, big deal. Put the ball in the field. I'll have the team ready to play. So I was, I was all fired up for that. We ended up going to the press as opposed to the end of May like we normally do. This time, July the 8th was the last day that we sent the last page of the press. And the other major difference this year, Brent, is the distribution. We're normally everywhere. We print a couple hundred thousand. This year only printed 50,000, and they're only available at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. Those are the only two places to get them. So those are the two big differences. Number one would be when we sent the final page of the press, and number two, very limited distribution this year. You mentioned how the coaches are finding a way through it. Football coaches have that mentality, right, next man up, try and get through yep. it. That being said, Phil, and they're all in the same boat here. It's anywhere between, what, three and eight spring practices, if that for a lot of these coaches. But what is the unique challenge that kind of unites all of these coaches and that they're trying to get through, prepare for a season, and they've had such a limited off season to do it? You know, uh, a lot of them, especially the experienced coaches, Brent, uh, were not too concerned. They said, you know what, we went through the off, uh, the winter conditioning, had the team ready to start spring. What it's going to affect is it's going to affect maybe that redshirt freshman that was hoping to pass up a junior uh, based on spring practices and isn't going to be able to get that uh, chance this year. But I'll tell you, there are some coaches that will affect, and that's the first-year head coaches. Uh, and a lot of first-year head coaches had zero spring practice. So talking to them, they'd be like, Phil, this is what I think about this player, but I haven't even seen the guy on the football field yet. I think first-year head coaches are going to struggle in this season because of the lack of spring practices. I do think experienced head coaches with experienced teams, maybe an experienced offensive line and quarterback, are the ones that are going to fare the best. That kind of circles me here to Syracuse, Phil, because Dino Babers cleaned house in the offseason, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. Now his new offensive coordinator, Sterling Gilbert, pretty much in lockstep with him. They've worked together in the past, so I don't think the adjustment is going to be too uh, extreme there. 
Whereas on the defensive side of the ball, there is a complete you know restructuring happening with the three three five being put in by Tony White. So when we kind of boil it down to Syracuse, what what are the challenges of installing a new defense and and putting a new philosophy in place in in some way on both sides of the ball? I could say looking at the defense, uh, you know, it was a question mark already. They only had four returning starters coming back on defense, losing six of the top eight tacklers. And let's face it, last year's defense was not overwhelming, which is why we have a new defensive coordinator this year. Gave up 464 yards per game uh, overall, 4.9 yards per carry. And the 3-3-5 is a somewhat complex scheme. I usually think it takes almost two years to get it completely up to speed. But Tony White's a guy that's going to step in, I think, and do a good job with the defensive side. But he's going to have to do some magic without the benefit of spring practices. Now, offensively, having Tommy DeVito back is a good thing. Tommy DeVito's a guy who I thought showed a lot of potential last year, 19 touchdown passes, just five interceptions, and uh, he'll be better in his second full year as a starter. I look for more out of the running back core, the offensive lines, a veteran group, so not as concerned with Syracuse offensively as I am defensively due to lack of experience and the lack of spring practices. Yeah, last year was tough because, Tommy, we've seen the talent, we've seen the arm talent. He doesn't throw a lot of uh, interceptions. I think he finished the season 170 straight attempts without an interception last year, but the offensive line really broke down and did not come together until the last few games of the season. They, had a, they gave up 50 sacks last year, had a really tough run of it. You said they're a veteran group, so that should help them recover from that. But when you take a step back and look at it, Phil, how, how do you compare Tommy DeVito to some of the his peers out there, some of the, the top elite talents? Does he have a chance to kind of join that group and become an elite college quarterback? Yeah, a lot of it's going to be based on, of course, the supporting cast, the offensive line, the receiving core. Taj Harris back at wide receiver is a big plus there. But uh, I think when you do look at DeVito, he's a guy that's got plenty of experience, which is going to be vital this year. And uh, I do like what I've seen for, uh, from him on the field. I mean, uh, as mentioned, uh, it's 63% last year, 19-5 ratio. Those are solid numbers. And I think DeVito is going to have a big year. Now, will he be up there with, uh, you know, like a Trevor Lawrence? or uh, uh, Justin Fields of Ohio State. I wouldn't put him in that category, but I do think he's going to have a good year. Phil, speaking of those constant adjustments having to be made in the offseason, we just learned last week, as a matter of fact, the ACC is going to the 10-plus-1 model. The SEC, most of the Power Five are going to go 10 conference games, and you know we're going to see a real elimination at that level of non-conference games. So as a coach, you look at it and you say, okay, my schedule's different. And for Syracuse, they now travel to Clemson, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Louisville. Now, I guess the good news is if you're going to have a brutal road stretch like that, do it in a season where if there's any fans at all in the building, it's going to be limited capacity and going on the road is, is kind of a different thing. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a year where the home field edge has got to be lessened greatly. I think we're going to see more road teams win uh, this year than has happened maybe in the last couple of decades. So it should be a good year to win those road games. And look, you know, in the reshuffled schedule, Syracuse didn't fare too badly. They get to avoid Miami and Florida, Florida State, and Virginia Tech, which are three of the better teams in the ACC this year. So the schedule's not too bad uh, based on the uh, the realignment. Would the biggest concern I have would be the experience level of the team overall at number one hundred eight. 
You mentioned Miami, North Carolina, Virginia Tech. When you look at your surprise teams for this upcoming season, they're all uh, in the top five there. How do you see that resurgence in the ACC with those teams, and, and, and what kind of league do you think this can be this year? It seems like there's a lot of returning talent in the ACC, maybe on the upswing top to bottom vastly different league than last year. You know, Brent, uh, and I'm going to throw this out at you. You you follow the ACC. Last year was Clemson. There is a Grand Canyon. Who's the second best team in the ACC? <laughs> Great question. Great yeah, question. I, I don't I don't think there was a second best there really team. Wasn't. Last year in the mag or this year in the magazine, I rated the conferences from last year. I had the ACC the sixth best conference behind the American, and the American had a lot of these ten, eleven win teams and did well in the non-conference play. I, I just didn't like the ACC overall last year, but this year I have jumped the ACC up to the third best conference. It is by far the most improved conference in college football, and that was prior to Notre Dame joining the ACC for this year. I mean, you look at North Carolina. They have got 10 returning starters on offense, 7 on defense. Sam Howell's back after a great freshman season. And they go from number 103 on my experience chart all the way up to number 30. With Miami, their problem last year was quarterback play. Well, problem solved. They bring in De'Ara King from Houston. You know, in 2018 at Houston, he had 36 touchdowns passing, another 14 touchdowns running. Instant upgrade at QB. You look at them defensively. They returned Gregory Rousseau, the redshirt freshman who had 15 and a half sacks last year. They add in Quincy Roche, who is the American Conference Defensive Player of the Year at Temple with 13 sacks. They're going to be very strong on defense. Then you take a look at the Virginia Tech. I thought Virginia Tech was much better after Hendon Hooker took over at the QB spot last year. They went from 19 points per game against Power 5 teams up to 34. Now this year they've got 8 returning starters on offense, 9 on defense. They're going to be, they are the most experienced team in the ACC. Then you look at a team like Pitt. Pitt last year lost their top defensive end, Rashad Weaver, and their top nose, or top defensive tackle, Kashan Camp, to injury prior to the year. And I thought, wow, they're in trouble. Well, the defensive line played better than expected. Now this year, they get Weaver back, they get Camp back, plus defensive end Patrick Jones turned down the NFL. Nose tackle Jalen Twyman turned down the NFL. Strong safety Paris Ford turned down the NFL. They've got one of the best defensive in the country, and Coach Sarduzzi's been talking to me about Kenny Pickett for three years. This guy's NFL potential. He's going to be in the NFL. If he plays up to that level, they're going to be dangerous. And even a team like Virginia with Bronco Mendenhall, he's a little miffed. They're getting picked fifth in the ACC Coastal. He thinks they're going to surprise a lot of folks. And then, you know, Florida State, NC State, much improved. Louisville, dangerous. I love the ACC this year. As much as I was uh, saying that they were uh, not a great conference last year, they are the most improved conference in college football this year. Phil, I was saying this when that schedule model came out last week in a sense of, hey, be careful what you wish for here because people might get used to this. They might say, hey, why, do, why are we playing four non-conference games or why aren't all the Power Five models doing this? What did you think of the decisions to go mostly uh, 10 conference games, all conference uh, per this season? And, and I want to ask you that. Could we get spoiled here seeing all these, these great uh, football games this upcoming season? Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head, Brent. In fact, I think if you went back and asked the fans 
prior to the season and said, hey, what do you think of the potential of us playing 10 conference games? Everybody's hand would have been in the air because that's going to be Power 5 versus Power 5. Nick Saban talked about it a few years ago. We should only play Power 5 versus Power 5. And uh, I do think we're going to get a little spoiled this year. Could lead us to some restructuring. Maybe that four, four 16-team super conferences down the road. We'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be perhaps uh, a signal of the future in college football. Phil, last thing for you here, uh, kind of current events uh, as we're all kind of waiting out to see some things that could affect the college football season. COVID is obviously at the top of that list, but it was interesting what came out over the weekend. Some Pac-12 players banded together, made some demands, and you know they want a voice in this process, and they want to make sure that that voice is heard. And I don't necessarily think they're going to get everything on that list. I think there's some very... Uh, reasonable requests that they put out there. How did you take in uh, what Pac-12 players are saying and, and what they're asking for before they get out there on the field this year? Yeah, the the one that really jumped out at me was the the health insurance. I mean, that's that's a gimme, and health insurance is so expensive nowadays. Getting six years of it, uh, I think that that's a, a good trade off and something that they they should automatically just go ahead and give to the players. The players are putting a lot on the line uh, playing football, so the the six year health insurance I think is a great thing. I you know all the demands like you said are not going to come to fruition, but uh, you know we'll see what happens out in the Pac twelve, and uh, as long as we're playing football this year, Brent. I'm a happy man. Phil, I think we all feel the same way. Appreciate your time and your insight, my friend. We'll catch up soon, but thanks for your time today, as always. Always enjoy chatting football with you, Brent. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, he is a legend. He is jam-packed with information just like this here magazine I hold in my hands. Now, this year, as you heard Phil mention, but uh, bears repeating, not available in as many spots as usual. You can usually find Phil Steele's college football preview all over, but limited to Barnes & Noble or his website, philsteele.com. That other place he mentioned, I'm not familiar with that chain. I don't know if there's any nearby. If you heard Books a Million and you know where they are or what they are, you can certainly go there as well. But I got mine at the Barnes & Noble in DeWitt. I actually did the uh, order ahead online, pick it up at the store thing. Very easy to do. And uh, very convenient, so thanks to our friends at Barnes & Noble for that. And it is available now, and as Phil said, not as many magazines as usual out there. So if you want your Phil Steele's College Football Preview, the Summer Bible, jam-packed with information, it is out now. Always great to catch up with the, the man, the myth, the legend himself.